First Chronicles 29, 11, and 12. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is, is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as, as head above all. Both riches and honors come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. The reason that we need to preach to ourselves is because we are prone to think with our feelings rather than with our minds. We are prone to think with our feelings rather than with our minds. You see, our thoughts are prone to follow our hearts and wander from God and his truth. Like if, if God feels distant, then we conclude that, that he must be. If, if my life feels out of control, then we conclude that God is not in control. If we are feeling like we're unlovable at the moment, then we conclude that God must not love me. You see, our, our beliefs affect our behavior. Like what you believe about God and who you are at a deep level will affect how you then act. So what we need to discern are the lies that we're believing and then turn to the truth of what God says. That's what preaching to ourselves is. And so what we're going to look at over the next few weeks is these four liberating gospel truths that we can preach to ourselves and apply to everyday life. I'll give them to you right now. The first is that God is great, so I don't have to be in control. Secondly, God is glorious, so I don't have to fear others or seek their approval. Third is that God is good, so I don't have to look elsewhere. And then God is gracious, so I don't have to prove myself. You see, now these four liberating truths, these, these four G's, are are from this book called You Can Change by Tim Chester. So I didn't come up with these. Like, I'm not that brilliant. Tim Chester, he's, he's an Acts 29 pastor, uh, which is one of the church planning networks that's supporting uh, our work here. Uh, and he's a pastor in the UK. He's the one who created this really helpful grid. But what I want us to, 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 to do is, is, to, is to walk through these, over these next few weeks, uh, these four liberating truths. And I want us to walk through them because this practice, like this practice, asking our hard questions, like like walking through these has been so instrumental in my own life. Like it's really helped me to discern the sin patterns in my own life and has helped me to sort of dig down to the heart level. Like just the other day, Alyssa and I were driving down to San Clemente and we were talking about these four truths. Um, every, uh, we were walking through these four truths and, and, and discussing which ones that we weren't, like practically speaking, actually like believing or living out. Uh, and, and, and we're asking, like, we know, which one are you struggling, struggling to believe right now? Which one are you struggling to, to live out right now? And man, that was a helpful conversation to have, like in our marriage. And so my hope is that, that you can learn to do the same that you can learn to use these four liberating truths daily, even hourly, to preach the gospel to yourself, but also with others. You see, one of our values as a new church 
that we want to kind of instill, and we've been beating this drum again and again, is this idea that the good news, the gospel of Jesus, that's not just what gets us into the Christian life. It's the very center of it, right? See, the gospel is not just the, the, the box you need to check and to, to get into Christianity. It's the very foundation. It's the center. We always need to be tethered to the truths of the gospel. We need to return to it daily. And so we want this church, we want to be a church that lives out the liberating and transforming truths of the gospel. We want to live out our lives, we want to follow Jesus in a way where our lives are actually transformed, where they look transformed, where they look different because we know Jesus, we love him, and we worship him as God. And so we want you to get a hold of these truths so that you can see and point out in, in, in your own life and in the lives of those around you that there is this deeper need for the gospel of Jesus to bear weight on us to use these to preach to yourself regularly and in community and in our congregation with your neighbors and with your coworkers so that you can be more like Jesus yourself and so that you can help others uh, be more like Jesus too. And see, so our aim, our primary aim in this series is heart change, not behavior change. Our primary aim is heart change, not behavior change. You see, God isn't primarily concerned with behavior change. He's not primarily concerned with behavior change. He's looking for heart change at this deeper level. God doesn't want our outward actions to change. He wants our, our, our motivation behind those actions, our, our desires behind those actions for those to change too. You see, that's what Jesus believed. That's what Jesus taught. This is why he was so harsh to those who had this visible change on the outside with their behavior, but not this real change at the heart level. The Pharisees that we read about in the Gospels, like their behavior was like pretty impressive on the outside. But they're in their hearts, they were, they were rebels against God. Think about the interactions that Jesus had with them. Like he calls them a brood of vipers. He calls them deceivers. You see, these were guys who looked so good on the outside because they followed God's law, and they even added extra laws for themselves to make extra sure that they would follow the first laws. They made themselves so look, look so good to impress others with their piety, but their hearts were dark and apart from God. You see, they were doing it for their own righteousness and reputation rather than trusting in the righteousness of God. Look at Luke 6 with me. These are Jesus' words when he's speaking about, about this. He says in Luke chapter 6, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the, his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So what Jesus is saying here is that like, what you say is what flows from your heart. Or what you do is what flows from who you are. Your behavior flows from your identity, from what you believe about who God is and who you are before him. You see, so if you see oranges growing on a tree, you have a pretty, pretty good idea that that's what kind of tree. 
and an orange tree, right? If you see apples growing on a tree, you think that that's an apple tree, right? No brainer. So Jesus says that the human heart is just like that. Good fruit comes out of a good heart. Bad fruit comes out of a bad heart. And so if bad stuff is coming out of your mouth, out of your heart, out of your life and your behavior, then the problem is actually at the root. The problem is actually at the heart level. Like you can't just staple good fruit onto your life, onto your branches. Like that doesn't fix the problem. That fruit's just going to rot and die. Like you have to address the root. Paul Tripp, he's this this author and biblical counselor. He's got this really helpful illustration. So he holds up this water bottle, right? Let's just pretend it's like it's open, right? He holds up this water bottle before a crowd, and he starts shaking it, right? And the water is going everywhere, and you're like, dude, this guy's like a madman. What is he doing? But he's shaking this bottle, and this water is going everywhere, and he's like, okay, guys, tell me, why is water coming out of the bottle? And you're just looking at him like, well, you're shaking it. And he's like, no, he's like, okay, but like, why is water coming out of the bottle? And you're like, well, you're shaking it. Like, why else would water come out of the bottle? But then he goes, no, why is water coming out of the bottle? And the point is, water's coming out of the bottle when he shakes it because water is what's in the bottle. You see, sometimes like when we get agitated in life and when we respond poorly, we blame our behavior on our circumstances, right? But like what Jesus is saying here in Luke 6, and that Paul Tripp explains with that water ball illustration is that, like, look, when we respond poorly to life's circumstances, when we respond with sinful behavior, it's not because our circumstances made us do that. It's because we're sinful. We have ugliness inside of us. You see, what came out is what's inside, regardless of how the bottle is labeled. And so what needs to change is what's inside of us. Regardless of our circumstances, what needs to change is what's inside of us. You see, if we come to church thinking like, I go to church to get my behavior changed, then we've missed the point. If you come to church to learn how to be a good person, then you've missed the point. We don't come to church. We don't open the word of God. We don't meditate on the gospel to try and figure out what do we do. We do it, we come to figure out who Jesus is and what he has done. And when we start there, then who we are and what we do flows from there. And so how do we change what's inside us? How do we change what's inside us? The Bible teaches that the way that transformation happens is when the truth of God is applied to us by the Spirit of God. It's the difference between knowing the truth of the word like intellectually in our minds, but then have it actually functionally work out itself out in our lives. So if you catch that, that means that you can be an intellectual believer. That means you know all the right things about God, but not an actual functional believer. Where there's this disconnect between what you know to be true and how you're actually like living that out. The reformers used to talk about how Uh, The Bible needs to apply to our head, our heart, and our hands. Our head, our heart, and our hands. In other words, we, we learn the truth of God's word in our head, but it needs to burrow down and affect our hearts, and that in turn affects our behavior, what we do with our hands. You see, so that's kind of setting us up for the next 
few weeks. Um, this idea of how we're, the idea is for liberating truths, not for behavior change, but for true heart change. And so now let's talk about the first liberating truth. The first liberating truth is that God is great, so we don't have to be in control. God is great, so we don't have to be in control. Read this prayer of David with me from 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles 29, 11, and 12 says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is, is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as, as head above all. Both riches and honors come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And see, the idea here is that God is powerful. He's great. He's powerful. He's in control. He's sovereign. And he has all things in his control every minute of every day. He's great, and so we don't have to be in control. That's a liberating truth. Like, how many of us like to be in control, right? How many of us like to be in control? Like, for me to have my best life now, like, I need to be in control, right? Like, I'm the guy where, like, on, on an average day, when you're creeping up behind me in your car on the road and you're driving a little too close, like, I'll pump on my brakes to teach you a lesson, right? <laughs> like... I'm, I'm like, I'm totally that guy, which is totally irresponsible, especially when I have my family in the car. My wife's always like, what are you doing? Like, you don't have to teach them a lesson. And I'm like, no, like I do. Because you see, I want this person to know, look, like you don't control me. I don't care how, how closely you're driving behind me. Like I'm going to drive at the speed that I want to drive. Like you don't control me. You don't control this ro road. Like, I'm going to drive how I want to drive. And you see, all of this, us do this to varying degrees, don't we? We all do this to varying degrees. We create these routines for ourselves, these plans. And when things go off, off the course that we've chartered, when things go out of control and get messy according to our plans, and that's the real test of character, isn't it? You see, when my plans don't come to pass, Am I trusting that God is in control and that he has a plan for me or am I freaking out and losing my mind? You see, the scriptures talk about God's greatness, how he's sovereign, how he's in control over all things at a macro level and at a micro level. They talk about how God's great, God is great frequently and regularly. We see the greatness of God in creation right on the very first pages of Scripture. Look at Genesis 1 with me. First three verses of the Bible. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be light, and there was light. You see, the first words spoken in the universe were let there be light. Before these words were spoken, there was nothing. Nothing existed. No time, no matter. It says just this huge void. 
And what happened after this command was spoken by God? What happened after this command was spoken? There was light, right? He said, let there be light, and there was light. Try to wrap your mind around that one. Like something came out of nothing because someone spoke it so. I can't do that. Neither can you. You see, this vast universe that we live in, this giant swirling hurricane of stars and planets and galaxies, it exists because God spoke it into being. He created everything from the heavens on high to the depths below. He's fashioned and formed things as great as black hole supernovas in the sky and as small as the the smallest molecules, cells and quarks. Where else do we see the greatness of God? We also see the greatness of God in Exodus 3 in his nature. Not just the fact that he created all things, but just just the fact of who he is. In Exodus 3, God tells Moses that his name is Yahweh, which means the great I am. Which is a strange name, right? Like, what do you mean your name is I am? That's God literally saying that his name means the eternally existent one. The one who always was, who always is. You see, all of us, every single one of us, deep in our hearts, knows, we know that there's a God who is other than us. Even the most hardened skeptic, Romans 1 would tell us, even the most hardened skeptic, just by the sheer testimony of looking at creation around us, knows that there's a God that we must answer to, but they just suppress the truth, right? Like all of us deep in our hearts know that there's a God who is other than us, a God who is great, a God who made us, and because he made us, he therefore owns us. We know there's a creator and that we owe him everything and that he's in charge. He's the sovereign one. But we also know that despite knowing that, we try to be the showrunner of our own lives. We decide what is good and bad. We decide what is right and wrong. In other words, we want to be God. But when we acknowledge his greatness, the fact that God is great, then we see that that job is already taken. You see, we recognize who has the keys to the universe when we consider the greatness of our God, that he is God and that we are not. You see, this otherness of God, his distinctness, his otherness is what the Bible calls his holiness. When we see the greatness of God, we capture a glimpse of it, like like of, of his holiness. You know, holiness basically means completely other. Than us, completely distinct. And his holiness is the only his only attribute in all of the scriptures that gets repeated three times. Like in Isaiah chapter six, when Isaiah sees this vision of the Lord, and there's these angels flying around, and these angels are calling out to one another, and they're saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. These angels, these seraphim are singing, holy, holy, holy. You see, they're not saying love, 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 or mercy, 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 right? Like a lot of us, it's like when we think of like who God is, we want him to be primarily defined by his love, right? 
because we want to be loved. Or by his mercy, because we, we want to believe in a God like that. And God is loving. I'm not saying he's not. He's absolutely loving. He's absolutely merciful. But he is first and primarily holy. He's other than us. He's distinct from us. And until we get that, until we start there, then we won't ever get how truly amazing his love really is. Until we start there, we won't understand how truly amazing his mercy really is. His love, his mercy, his goodness, and his grace revolve around his perfect holiness. The fact that he is God and that we are not. See, it needs to start there. You see, the difference between a person who sees the greatness of God, who is religious for religion's sake, and a person who has a a, a vibrant relationship with God is that they know it's more than just intellectually knowing about his greatness and his holiness and his majesty but that it's about having a sense of their weight, where you sense the weight of his greatness. You have a tangible sense of it, a a taste for it. I love this quote from Jonathan Edwards, this old Puritan preacher from New England. He says, there's a difference between having a rational judgment that honey is sweet and then having a sense of its sweetness. A man may have the former that knows not how honey tastes. But a man cannot have the latter unless he has an idea of the taste of honey in his mind. You see, he's saying like you can know the, the, you can know the information that honey is sweet, but it's something else entirely to actually know what that sweetness tastes like. You see, that's what it means to capture a glimpse of God's greatness. To truly capture a glimpse of God's greatness is where you actually have a taste for it. It's more than just mere knowledge in your head. It actually burrows down deep into your heart and it changes you. Like, look, whatever, I promise you, like whatever your view of God is this morning, whatever your view of God is this morning, it's not big enough. It's not great enough. Everyone in Scripture, even the most, uh, even the most knowledgeable uh, prophets in the Scriptures, every person who's ever seen God and encountered Him with their own eyes in His actual presence, their mind is just blown. They fall on their faces. They say things like, I've never seen anything like this before. David in Psalm 145 says, His greatness is immeasurable. It's beyond comprehension. And here's the crazy thing. The crazy thing is that this great God, this amazing, holy, great God who is categorically like other than us, he's also the God who is intimately involved with us, with our dreams, our desires, our affections, our eternal destinies. You see, if we zoom in from his greatness, then we see that this same great God who knows the names of all the stars also knows how many hairs are on our heads. And for all the hip people in the room, he also knows the number of hairs on our chins. (laughs) You see, this is a God who's intimately involved with his children. 
intimately involved with his children. He interacts with his creatures most intimately through his son, Jesus. Read Colossians 1, verse 16 and 17 with me. Speaking of Jesus here, and it says, For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, what's visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You see, this is the God who rescues captives. He heals the brokenhearted. He supports the humble. He destroys the wicked. And the reason this world is still spinning is because Jesus holds it all together. God sustains creation at all times. The moment he takes his hands off, it would just unravel and fall apart. God is great, and he's in control. He is sovereign and in control. And you and I, we have to choose between this fantasy in which we're sovereign and in control and the real world that God has created in which he is sovereign and in control. What what does it look like when we're not functionally believing in the greatness of God? What does it look like when, functionally speaking, we're not actually truly believing in the greatness of God, that he's great, that he has a purpose and a plan, and that he's in control? What does it look like when we are not preaching this truth to ourselves? We lose our minds, don't we? We get frustrated and angered easily because our plans aren't going according to the way we want. Maybe we avoid responsibility, right? We become apathetic and uninvolved because we're not living out responsibly the life that God has has called us to, we get worn out, discouraged, and stressed. Most commonly, probably worry, anxiety, impatience. Like, are you trusting God with the outcome? You see, now, if God is in control of the universe at a macro level, and also at every facet of our lives at this, at this micro level, then, then, then what is there to worry about? I mean, truly, if the God who created the universe that's spinning in existence right now, if he's the God that, that created that, that made that, sustains all that, but also sustains like the molecules spinning like inside our bodies, who's involved with us at, at, at the deepest, most intimate level, then what is there to fear? What is there to worry about? You know, if, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, like you need to know that you were never promised like a smooth life. You were never promised your best life now. You were never promised that your dreams would come true. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't have plans, that we don't have dreams, that we don't work hard, but like you were never promised that everything that you want to do, that everything that you plan is going to work out in your favor. You were never promised favorable circumstances. But as a follower of Jesus, you are promised favor from God in the midst of your circumstances. You see, we weren't promised favorable circumstances, but we were promised favor from God in the midst of our circumstances. And that is so much better. You see, preaching the greatness of God to yourself in the middle of a bad day is not 
to get you out of touch with reality, but it's about having a better grasp of reality, where we take our eyes off of ourselves and we recognize that, look, we're not great, but he is. I'm not in control, but he is. And See, here's what that means. It means that when the greatness of God becomes, like, like when the greatness of God becomes more real to us than, than our hardest circumstances, like that's, that's when we're meditating on the greatness of God. We understand that he's great and he's in control. Then his greatness becomes more real to us than our most difficult circumstances. His greatness becomes more real to us than our greatest dreams, and even more real to us than our worst disappointments. Having a firm grasp of God's greatness means that your position and status as a child of the living God, as a child of this great God, that you were found and adopted by this God in Jesus Christ becomes more important to you than anything else. It becomes more important to you than your financial situation, than how put together you are, than how polished you are, more than the position that you have at your job or in your family or with your friends or in the church. All those things become less important to you, and you're less anxious about that. You worry about that less, and you're less insecure about that because those things don't control you anymore. They don't own you anymore. They don't control you anymore because you know that Jesus does. They don't bear weight on your existence. The greatness of God does. He is the Lord. He is great. You see, that's what we're getting at here. It's about being in touch with that greater reality that God is God, that he is great, that he is in control, that Jesus is risen. He sits on a throne. He belongs to me, and I belong to him, and so I can trust him. I'm in his hands. I have his prayers. Look, like our bad days will come and go. Our afflictions are light and momentary afflictions, but God, God is our steadfast and eternal joy, eternal refuge. Circumstances might change. Our moods might change. Our feelings might change. Seasons of life will come and they'll go, but God never changes. He's great. He's always great. He's great yesterday, today, and forever. And so when we rejoice in his greatness, then we can surrender our control to him. How many of you know what it's like to like delegate a task to someone, right? Like maybe you've been in charge of a project or you've been like a, like a manager or a supervisor somewhere, right? And then you, you've had to delegate a task to someone, right? Now, when you delegate a task to somebody, like if you know that that person's going to take care of it, then you don't have to worry about it, right? You told him what to do, and you're like, I know he's going to take care of it. Like, I'm not going to worry about it. But when do you worry? Is when you delegate a task to someone, and you're not too sure if they're actually going to do good on that, on that task, right? Like, you'll worry if you don't know if that person is trustworthy, but you'll be confident that it'll get done if you know that that person is trustworthy. So what does it say when we give God something and we continue to worry? When we give God something, we continue to be anxious, we continue to worry. It means that we don't trust him. We don't find him trustworthy. 
We don't trust that he's in control, that he's got us. You see, when you give something to God, you need to let it go. You need to trust him. You see, when we find ourselves wrestling with these issues or someone else who loves us enough to ask hard questions, like, look, are you believing that God is great or are you fighting for control in this situation? Like when when that happens, when we can ask ourselves some great heart-level questions to ourselves, we can ask ourselves, like, God, what are you actually up to in the middle of this difficult situation? You're in control. Like, I... I'm not feeling like I'm in control, and I don't like that, but I'm trusting that you're great and that you're in control. And so I'm asking you, Lord, like, what are you up to in the middle of this hard situation, this bad day? How do you want me to respond this very moment? What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to change in me? Those are the kinds of questions we need to be asking. To close, I want us to read this famous passage of Scripture. Uh, It's familiar to probably many of you in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 8. And as we're reading this, I want you to read this with kind of this posture, this orientation that like, you know, when I'm reading this word to the Philippian church, like, like I want to apply this truth to my own life. I want to I want to preach this to myself. And so as we're reading this together, let's kind of, kind of give yourself that posture that like, I'm just not reading this to receive it, but I want to, I'm going to read this to myself. I'm going to preach this to myself um, so, so that um, I can be changed at a heart level. So let's read Philippians 4, verses 4 through 8, where Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, then think about these things. Another way to phrase that last verse is preach truth to yourself. Think about these things. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, if anything is worthy of praise, think about these things. In other words, preach this truth to yourself. Meditate on it. If you want to cultivate the peace of Christ in your life, then have your mind dwell on these things. If you ever want to know what God wants us to be thinking about, then run through this list. And when you run through that list, you'll be confronted with the greatness of God in your life. You'll be confronted with his greatness, with his grace towards you. You see, you'll be confronted with the greatness of the person of Jesus. See, no matter how big you think your problems are, like in reality, they don't compare with the power and the weight of the cross of Jesus Christ. They don't. You see, compared to eternity, and if you're a follower of Jesus, the forgiveness that you have in Jesus, compared to eternity and forgiveness that you have in Jesus, like your problems are nothing. They're minuscule. 
You see, one day, one day you'll see that. One day you'll see that your perception of reality of this bad day was wrong. That what's real and what's true and what's pure and excellent and praiseworthy, that that's what's worth dwelling on. The greatness of God in Jesus Christ, that's what is worth dwelling on. And so this morning, like, do, do you have worries? Do you have worries? Do you have fears? Do you have anxieties? And if you do, I think many of us do, then find your joy in a great and worthy God. Consider his greatness. Run to him. Give it all to him. Trust in him. Dwell on his benefits. And of course, pray in his name with great expectant faith, knowing that he's in control and that he will guard your heart and your mind with his perfect and his sovereign peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about King's Cross Church or make a donation, please visit kx.church. Here at King's Cross, we believe that worship means more than just listening to a sermon, and we encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. For Sunday morning meeting time and location for King's Cross Church, please visit kx.church. Thanks again for listening. 